Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Mission Life. Love the fact that you're here. My name is Aaron. I'm the lead pastor, and I love the fact that you've made it here this morning. Uh, I just want to let you guys know, uh, we threw an epic party last night right here. It was unbelievable. Our very first ever Valentine Day daddy-daughter ball. It was epic. As you can tell, we still have remnants, right? Did you see this balloon arch over here in the back? I did that by hand. I had nothing to do with that. In fact, that's Brady and Brianna. Brianna, his wife, is the one who actually did it. Uh, there was a team of people that had so much going on to make yesterday happen. If you were involved in any way to help the daddy-daughter ball happen, could you please stand up real quick? Just stand up real quick. I know. Come on. Josh Goldsmith. Yes, Mom. Yes, yes. My wife, Joy. Kristen, yes. Oh, my gosh, Krista. You guys, you, you guys were amazing, amazing. Phenomenal job. You guys, it was so powerful seeing... Um, Dads, dad figures, actually at the end of the night, Tim Collins did an amazing job kind of praying over everybody, but also having people go over and be affirmed. Dads went and affirmed their daughters or those daughter figures over with a carnation and just spoke blessings over them. I mean, it was powerful. And one of the things I looked forward to the most, because you guys know I love to dance so much, uh, is that I got to spend time with my, my two youngest. My, my oldest is away at winter camp, but I got to dance with my two youngest. And my middle daughter, Eden, of course, I mean, she was like, she actually had nothing to do with me. She came on stage. I'm like, honey, it's daddy-daughter. She's like, whatever. And she gets up, and she's dancing up here, performing for everybody. And I'm like, okay, Phoebe, it's just you and me. So um, it was a little hurtful, but it's all right. But I'm so proud of this church. I'm so proud of you guys that, that, that played a part in that. Looking forward to many more years to come of that, that experience. So good. Well, would you guys agree that there are times in your life where you have said or will say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. You had that ever in your life? Have you ever experienced that? I'm sure you have. Maybe uh, it's a time where you got a new job and you're just trying things out and you wanted to see if this new uh, vocation is a good fit for you and you realize, oof, no, 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 this is not what I'm meant to do. Enough is enough. I'm not going to be doing this. Maybe you uh, tried at the beginning of the year to start a new diet and you decided, oh yeah, cabbage sounds really good every day, all day long. <laughs> And you decided, okay, maybe enough is enough. I'm not going to do this. Or maybe you got into a dating relationship or, uh, and you realize after a while, okay, things aren't quite working out. And so you decided, and maybe in a difficult way, you said enough is enough. I mean, there's all these times in our lives where we come to the place, it's like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Enough is enough. Every one of us has experienced that. But there are also times where we realize, wait a minute, I wish I stuck it out. I wish I actually hung in there. Instead of saying enough is enough, I, I wish I kind of stuck with it. Back in 2008, there were three founders to a new company called SwiftKey. And they had a vision to create a smarter keyboard for phones. And so they were software developers, and they were really working hard to create this vision that we actually take for granted today in all of our phones. And sure enough, after many years of working really hard, 
from 2008 to 2016, they finally were bought out by Microsoft for $250 million. Now that's eight years of hard work, but it paid off significantly. But not for one of the partners. One of the partners two months in realized there is way too much that's going into this. There's too many long hours, there's too many sacrifices that I'm making. I'm gonna sell my stock back to the other partners. And he made the biggest mistake of his life, an $83 million mistake. He sold his stock for what he bought a bicycle with. So anyway, all that to say, there are countless startups that fail all the time, right? I mean, so how do you know when to stay with it or when to just say enough is enough? These are some of the tensions we all experience in life. I know in my life there are so many times I look back and I go, oh my goodness, I wish I said enough is enough earlier. And there's other times in my life I thought, oh man, I wish I just stuck it out. I wish I would have figured that out. I wish I would have hung in there. And I think for a lot of us, I mean, especially the people I talk to, the people that I'm um, having conversations with, so much of our life is trying to figure out that balance between having the least amount of regrets and the maximum amount of success. And so we go through this battle on a regular basis. When is enough enough? And when is it time to stick it out? Now, what's interesting is that we actually apply this in our spiritual lives as well. You know, wherever you are with God, whatever you think about Jesus, whatever you think about church, I just love the fact that you're here. This is a safe place for you. We always say it every single week. Wherever you're at on your spiritual journey with God, we just love the fact that you're here. It's okay to be where you're at. But one of the things I've realized in my life and the people I talk to is we tend to take this idea about enough is enough or when to stick it out with God. Because for many of us, we wonder, we think, you know what? If, if there really is a God, he's seen the way I've lived my life. And I'm sure he's not really happy with me. I'm sure that, I'm sure that God looks at my life and says, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with you. Enough is enough. Can't you get it together? There's some of us that actually think that. And we've been resistant to this whole idea of God because we've thought of God like that. Or, or there's others of us where we're done with God. We're so fed up, we're frustrated, we're angry. We're wondering, God, why aren't you coming through for me? Why did this happen in my life? Enough is enough. I'm done with you. Wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, I think all of us are trying to figure out when is enough enough and when is it time to stick it wherever you're at. I love the fact that, that God, I truly believe, wants to meet you in that space. For others of us, um, there's people in our life that we are praying for, that, that we want to know God. And yet time and time and time again, for whatever reason, they just resist. They don't want to have anything to do with God. And there's a part of us deep down that gets so discouraged and despairing and frustrated, we go, you know what? Okay, enough is enough. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to stop praying. I'm not going to... And we kind of write people off. When is enough enough? When is it time to stick it out? 
if you can relate to any of that. This is, this is a conversation that is not new. In fact, this was happening 2,000 years ago. And uh, I know those bulletins that you have in front of you don't have a lot of notes on them, but up on the screen, we're going to have some verses that are going to help guide us in our conversation about this. And this whole concept what happened 2,000 years ago. There was people that had heard all about this Jesus and were a part of a church, and they were actually frustrated and angry and said, you know what, God, enough is enough. We've heard that this Jesus has risen from the dead, and supposedly he's supposed to come back at some point, but in the midst of all that, where is he? Things are still the same. Why are you believing what you're believing? And notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and following, it says this. This is the Apostle Peter writing in response to this. He says, but, but above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own evil desire, saying, where is his coming? Where is Jesus that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the very beginning of creation. In other words, enough is enough, guys. God's not coming through. Why don't you just believe something different? Things are just the same. God is clearly not at work in the way that we think he's supposed to. And so I don't know where you're at on that journey, but the great news is, it, is this. Because we've been in this series called Pursuit. And it's really understanding that God actually has a heart for those people he says are lost. God has a heart for those who seem far away, who are giving up on God, who are tired of all the things going on in this world and saying, God, I have had enough with you. Well, here's the beautiful thing is God hasn't given up on them and he hasn't given up on you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue our series called Pursuit and look at Luke 15, verse 8 and following. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If not, look up on the screen. But we've been looking at a series of stories that Jesus is teaching about God's heart for what the Bible calls is lost. Now, if you're like me, I don't like anyone assuming I am lost, dear Lord. Before Google came out with Google Maps, when I got lost, only in the face of impending death would I ask for directions. I do not want to be known as someone who gets lost or is lost, and I get that. But this is a term that Jesus uses in his stories to describe people that truly are, from God's perspective, lost. They don't know where they are. They're at a limited perspective on the way in which who God is and where they are. They don't understand the dangers surrounding them. They are, from what Jesus says, lost. And this makes sense for anyone who simply just has a limited view of where they are. But whatever we think about this word lost, whether we ourselves feel lost or whether we know people we think are lost, there is hope for anyone who is in this place because of what we're going to look at today. So Luke 15, verse 8, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you want to open up our minds and our hearts to something new and fresh about who you are. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, whether we feel lost or not, God, would you open up our hearts to you? In Jesus' name, amen. So 
Luke 15, let me give you a little context. Jesus has just told a story, very famous story, about the lost sheep right beforehand. And the reason why he told this story about lost sheep and now is going to talk about this thing called the lost coin is because he's been engaging in relationship with all these people known as tax collectors and sinners. The people in that society that were the most, you know, fringe, marginalized kind of people. While the religious elite of the time, the Pharisees and the scribes, were very unhappy with Jesus. They were saying, look, Jesus, you certainly don't know God's heart because you would not be hanging out with people like that if you knew God's heart. Jesus smiles. I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure he smiled. And he said, let me tell you a story. And he tells the story about this lost sheep, which we talked about last week. And he tells the story about a lost coin in verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? What's the big deal? Woman loses a coin. What's the big deal? Well, a coin like this wasn't a, a penny or a nickel or even a quarter today, okay? So some of us... When we drop uh, 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 some change, I know some of you younger folk are like, what is that? What is change? What is a coin? I've never seen one. Is it Bitcoin? Are you talking about Bitcoin? I got Bitcoin. Uh, but some of you are thinking, I don't even know what that is. And some of you are thinking, if I drop change on the floor and I have to go down and find that thing, I might not get up ever again. So I'm just going to let it go, right? So, so, but what's the big deal about this woman losing a coin? Well, each coin represented a day's wages for her. That literally, for a peasant woman of that particular time, that was one to two weeks worth of provision. And she only has ten of them. And if she is a widow, this is like her savings. This is a big deal. And so Jesus tells a story about this woman who's lost a coin, and it's fallen on the ground, and she's searching all over for it. Now, why does she light a lamp? Well, back then, this is probably around the Sea of Galilee, you would build homes made of this black stone. And so it was very dark already, even during the day. And they didn't have windows like these beautiful windows right here. They had like little slits about seven feet up from the ground. So you can imagine, I've dropped my coin. I can't see it. I light a lamp. I start to sweep through the entire home, and I'm looking for this thing. And the floor has cracks and crevices and this and that from the stonework on the bottom. And so she's looking and looking and looking. And how long does she look for it? She is looking and looking until she finds that. Now, when you lose something extremely valuable, I'm talking extremely valuable, a thing or, heaven forbid, a person, uh, you drop everything, right? Everything stops. Everything stops in your life to go and find this thing because it's super valuable to you. You start searching. You start looking. The word here is carefully searching, diligently looking, meticulously searching. The word there means I'm not giving up on this thing that I've lost. Now, when my wife says, Aaron, can you go to the store and pick up some things for me? Absolutely. I go to the store. I go in there. I'm like, oh, it's not here. It's not in the aisle. I guess I'll go home. <laughs> what my wife wants me to do is say, no, 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 don't give up so easily. Please ask somebody for help. Oh. Okay. And if they can't help you, what does she want me to do? Depending upon how valuable it is, call the other stores and find out if they have anything. I mean, that's the kind of intensity she's looking for from me. 
So here's the point of this little story to kind of really encapsulate really the whole point of this message. Right away, it's this. If you're taking notes on that big bulletin, here is something you can write down. It's God's love persists to find lost people. God's love persists to find lost people. This is what Jesus wants to make very clear to the supposed spiritual leaders of Israel. Those who are supposed to be the spiritual shepherds that are supposed to care about people that are disconnected from God, that don't have a right relationship with God. He's saying, you guys should stop complaining and criticizing and actually be rejoicing in the fact that I'm actually connecting with people that are far from God, that are lost. Why? Because God's love persists to find lost people. Now, what's not surprising is everyone on earth that loses something valuable, they, man, they'll go at it, right? What's shocking for Jesus' listeners is that those who they consider not valuable, not worthy, not one of them, God's love is persistently pursuing them. So how do, we, how do we know that this is actually playing out even today? How do we even know that? For some of us in here, again, we're on this journey with God. We're even on the brink of saying, I don't know if I really want to follow God or not. I don't even know if God will accept me. Or I don't know if I really care about the people outside that don't know God. Wherever you're at, how does this persistent love even show up today? And here's a couple ideas. The first one is this. We learn from the scriptures. His love persists to reveal himself. His love persists to reveal himself. Aaron, isn't this just a story from way back when? No, no. His love is persisting even today to reveal himself. The Apostle Paul, whose life was wrecked in the most beautiful, powerful way by Jesus, has his whole life turned upside down. He used to persecute Christians. He used to chase Christians. He used to imprison Christians until he encountered Jesus himself. And he said, oh boy. His whole life was thrown upside down. And so he starts to share about this incredible news about God's kindness and love to the lost. And he goes to the place where no one would go, ever go, to share about God's kindness and love. He goes to the higher educated in the Greco-Roman Empire and starts to talk to them about faith. He goes to Athens, and in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus, this place where all of these discussions and debates with all the scholars and the thinkers were. And he said this, people of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. He's affirming them. He's building a bridge. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on, on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Now, Here's something that he says that's really interesting. And he's not condemning them. He's not judging them. He's not mocking them. He's just clarifying. He's saying, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. You don't know this God. You're, you're, you're worshipful. You've even got an altar to him. And remember, they worshiped all kinds of gods, right? But this, this one right here, let me clarify his character for you. Let me, let me just clarify who he is to you. Now, here's why this is significant for us. 
it's very easy for us in, in the day in which we live, and many of us, we might even be in this journey, we believe that all spiritual roads lead to God. There's, there's people that believe that. Maybe even someone here. We're like, yeah, that sounds okay. You know, That's very tolerant. That's very politically correct. That's very common, right? But if that were the case, according to the scriptures, what would Paul be saying? You're good. You got it covered. You got, he's one of many. You're good. But what does Paul do? He's encountered the risen Lord Jesus. This is the guy. I got to tell you. I got to tell you. And he's revealing himself to you. He's starting where you're at, and he wants to help you take more and more steps towards him. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. Notice in verse 26. From one man, he's made every nationality to live of the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God is closer than we realize. No matter how far, no matter what kind of beliefs we have, something out here, God is constantly, from this text, revealing himself and helping humanity take more and more steps towards him. He'll use all kinds of ways to do that. Anybody know the actor Woody Harrelson? You guys heard of that guy? Okay, a couple of us. Thank you, John. Thank you. And uh, Woody Harrelson uh, said this about his own spirituality. He said, I've been nursing this emptiness for far too long. Four or five years ago, I came to the conclusion that I'd made a huge mistake in turning my back on religion because there were seeds in it that were extremely important to me. And then I set out in search of my soul again. In rejecting religion, I'd also discarded spirituality, and I found a bright reason for living. Now, I don't know where Woody Harrelson is. I don't know what exactly that means. I don't know if he's found Jesus or not, but here's the point. There's something going on. There's something stirring in him. And maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God is at work to try and lead him to Jesus. God doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. The entire Bible, you know what it's all about? God dwelling with his people. He just wants to dwell with us. He loves us. He created us. Sin is the thing that prevents that from happening. We're the one that will be destroyed in his presence if he doesn't accommodate for that in some way, providing a mediator, providing forgiveness in order for him to be present with us. God doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. I love this quote by Tim Keller, pastor out in New York. He said this, Properly understood, Christianity is by no means the opiate of the people. It's actually more like the smelling salts. God is on the journey to help us wake up to God's kindness and his love through Jesus. And so God uses all kinds of ways. He can use a broken relationship to wake us up. He can use a health issue to wake us up. He can use a life transition to wake us up. He can use even a religion that we grew up in that is false to find emptiness in it to actually start to move towards truth. 
He uses it all to help people move towards him. This is the first thing we realize about his persistent love for the lost. Second, his love persists through his restored people. His love persists through his restored people. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard this phrase, if you want to do something right, you guys haven't heard this before, have you? Wow. If, if you want to do something right, do it yourself, empower somebody, hire somebody. Okay. If you want to do something right, do it yourself. Now, for me, this does not apply when it comes to handyman jobs in my home. Okay? You guys all know this. But if you want to do something right, do it yourself. Now, we think, okay, if you want to actually rescue people, broken, fallen people, people that are, you know, just, they're out for themselves, they're looking out for, if you want to rescue people, Jesus, why don't you just take care of it, all of it? I mean, don't you want to just do it yourself, Jesus? And so, of course, Jesus does only what Jesus can do, which is to go on a cross, die, rise again from the dead, and, and then fill his people with his Holy Spirit who believe. Get that. But what does he do? He enlists his people into the rescue operation. Ordinary fishermen, ordinary Joes, tax collectors, sinners, broken, messed up people, I'm going to use them. They're going to be my primary agents to rescue humanity. It's going to be glorious. What? Are you kidding me? You know, it's like entrusting a kid that doesn't know how to drive with your brand new Porsche. It's like, what are you doing? But this is what God is doing. And notice what Jesus says to his disciples about this whole mission. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work, Jesus told them. This is John chapter 4. Verse 35, don't you say there's still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Jesus is saying, hey guys, get ready. God's already at work. He's preparing the whole world. Some people are ready to turn back to me. Get going. Verse 36, the reaper's already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap where you didn't labor for, others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. What's happening here? Again, as the expert in agricultural figures of speech, let me tell you guys. You know, this is, this is my jam right here. Silicon Valley representing. Okay. So apparently what's happening is he's using figurative language. Again, the, the, he's using terms that they would understand that, hey, when you're actually sowing seed, you know what? You're laboring sowing seed. This sowing seed is the good news about me. It's the good news about Jesus, the good news about God coming back and making the world right through me. God's kingdom is coming. His rule and reign over human hearts, it's coming. you got to let people know about it. So, so, so. But there's some people that even when they're sowing, they're not necessarily going to be reaping those people coming to Jesus. So you got people sowing going, boy, this is a lot of work. And then you got some people that are harvesting, like, oh my gosh, I got to share, and this person gave their life to Jesus. Ah, awesome. And his point is this, is that it's a team sport. 
It's a team mission. You are not alone. But Jesus is saying, I'm looking for both. I'm looking for people that sow. I'm looking for people that harvest. I'm looking for everything in between. And so some of us on our own spiritual journeys know this. We actually could tell the story about how God got a hold of us, but it took time. And it took hearing about Jesus multiple times through multiple relationships, multiple ways. There were some people at the front end, some people at the back end, some people in between. And God was using all of it. Boop, 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 boop. And Jesus is saying, look, you actually are staying on the shoulders of other people that have already planted seeds about this good news. Wow! It's not all on you. It's God's harvest. He's the one who's at work. Why? Because his love is so persistent. But he chooses to use his restored people, people that have been reunited with him through Christ, to go out and participate in the mission. Now, I have a friend at the gym. Every time I finish my workout at the gym, and I usually work, finish working out at the same time every day, I'm leaving. I'm just pouring with sweat. I mean, I am disgusting. I smell. And there's this guy from the gym who always, if any time I see him, he finds me and hugs me. And it's like, dude, I, I reek. And he's like, I don't care. And he gives me a big hug. And he just embraces me. And I'm just like, Bleh. and, and, and I, I feel bad for the guy. And he says this to me. He says, Kerr, I need to hug you because you sweat holy water. <laughs> so, what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah. And, and I say, and I'm just like, you know what? Here's the crazy, I go, the only thing that is holy about me is simply because I said, Jesus, I'm yours. It's the only thing. It's not my religious activity. It's simply saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I, I was lost and now I'm found. I'm yours. I'm an imperfect, broken, messed up guy. Anything that's good about me is just because of Jesus at work in me. That's it. If you take a look at my life on my day-to-day -day basis, there's a bunch of mess in there. But it's Jesus. He's the one. See, Jesus didn't come to start a kingdom with walls. He came to start a kingdom that breaks down walls of fear of judgment, of hate, of sexism, of racism, of elitism. He came to break down all those walls. He's looking for people that are knocking down walls so more and more people would know about God's persistent love for them. This is what God's about. God never writes people off, and so neither do we. That's why we as a church will never give up on showing and sharing God's love to the lost in our community, to the lost in our community and outside of our community, because we all have been lost. Without Jesus, we're all lost. God's love persists to reveal himself. God's love persists through his restored people. And finally, his love persists to bring repentance. 
That's a word that we get really weird about, repentance. What's what's repentance? Ah, Because we've heard people on TV say those words, and they sound terrible. Repent, repent, repent. It's like, oh, what is that? But repentance, as we've talked about over the last couple weeks, is literally, I'm going in one direction, I get new information, and now I'm going in the other direction. Repent. Change the way you live in light of what you now understand. Ah, okay, I'm going to go this way. And it takes time by God's Holy Spirit, through interactions with people, by going through the highs and lows of life, for people to get to a place where it's like, okay, it's time to change the way I think about this God who is relentlessly pursuing lost people like me. And now I'm going to start to take another step to following this Jesus. It took a long time for me to come to grips with a decision I needed to make. Because I resisted it for years. But one day I finally realized I needed to join the minivan nation. (laughs) I know, I know. Fight it, Pablo. Fight it. I fought it. I was like, I'm not driving one of those things. I don't care. I'm fine with our little SUV that's too small. I'm okay. But as our family was growing, I realized, oh, my gosh, we need more room. And I'd heard, and my wife was saying, well, and we were talking. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm in. And it's glorious, you guys. I know, I know. Don't shake your head. It's, a- it's actually, I got a sunroof. I mean, it's good. We're driving to Costco. I mean, it's awesome, you guys. But it takes time. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and following, how do you transition to scripture from that? I don't know. Okay. Notice this. Why? It has the Lord not come back? Why has Jesus not returned? Is it because God's not real? No. The Apostle Peter says this, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved in the earth, and the works on it will be disclosed. In other words, God is doing everything he wants to do to give everybody as much time as possible to turn towards him. He loves us so much. He's like, I I gotta I want more time. They got I want to do this thing for a moment. I am at work. God's love is persistent. It is patient. But he's saying there is going to come a time where this part of human history is done. I've got to get my church out. I've got to get my people out. I've got to get this love out there so more and more people can turn back towards me and receive the forgiveness that comes through Jesus because I'm a good and holy God. And I need to punish and judge evil. And it's so good that God wants to judge evil, isn't it? It's really good because there's a lot of evil. I need to judge that evil. The problem is that evil is also in your human heart. I need to pay for that. I need to die for that so that 
I can still have relationship with you who I love. God's love persists. But time to turn back is limited. See, his love isn't deterred by our past. It's not deterred by our religious performance. His love is never giving up. I want to wrap up today with my friend Winston coming up to share briefly his story, his journey of how he found Jesus. Can you welcome Winston? Hey, everyone. Uh, it's so good to be here with all of you. Uh, does anyone else relate to this message, or is this just for me? Did you write this just for me? No? Okay, good. I'm good. It's really good to hear that other people can relate to this. Man, brokenness being alone, being lost, those are words that could, could easily describe my, my life up to, you know, pretty, pretty recent, actually. But, um, oh, sorry, just fly. But, yeah, so, so my relationship with my father growing up, it caused a lot of brokenness with me. Uh, there was a divorce when I was really young, and uh, he was an emotionally absent uh, individual, and, and that just that hit me really deep. And I, I had my first father-shaped hole inside of me. And uh, I tried to fill that on my own. I tried to solve that myself, whether that was with drugs, with alcohol, with relationships, with, with a number of, of things where just they weren't working, just false joy, false peace. They just did not bring, bring any solutions. And that progressed throughout my, my teens and my, my young adult life as well. And uh, God was patient. God was persistent. God continually worked through my mom. Oh, you want to go to church this week? You want to go to church this week? Mm. But the shame and the guilt continued for me to push. I, I can't let anyone in. I'm going to do this myself. And, uh, and then my best friend ended up killing himself, which escalated the, the brokenness, the, the guilt, the depression, the anxiety, mm. and the way I treated people from that. And eventually, enough was enough. Enough was enough. Mm. And I, I, I got sober and uh, I took those steps in my life and, uh, and eventually accepted my mom's, uh, my mom's request for me to come to church with her. And I, that was when I started going to Mariner's Mission Viejo. But again, I, I continued to not give it to God. I just was like, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to fix my pain. I'm going to fill the hole. Uh, and that was even through healthy things, whether it's the gym, snowboarding, golf, mountain biking, the, uh, the American dream that we're sold, yeah, that'll fix it. That'll fix it. And it didn't work. The, the depression, the anxiety, the guilt, it was all still there. It was all still there. And then eventually, I, I, I felt God leading me to just take next steps and just give it to him. He would just ask, just let me take this. My yoke is easy. Just take it. Why are you holding on to these burdens? And I slowly continued to remove those things from my life. And, uh, and then I was able to see that serving others was where true joy and peace was and, and pursuing a relationship with God and slowly stepping into serving um, in outreach with Danielle, actually, originally. And uh, that eventually led to, to junior high, stepping into junior high and where I met my amazing wife. And the, these two women right here are the most important women in my life. And I owe everything to them. But... But yeah, so just wherever you're at, just remember whether it's a first step or a hundredth, 
the silver lining's always beautiful, but that does not mean that you're alone wherever you are. And, uh, and please take this opportunity to, to seek help and, and to give it to God and give him, just give him the pain, give him the suffering and trust him. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. So good. So good. Hey, Jared, I'm going to invite you to come on up and we're going to get ready to respond. I love Winston's story because like all of our stories, it's messy. It's, it's filled with highs and lows and ditches and valleys and, and God pursues us every step of the way. He never gives up on us. That's what his love is all about. The question is, will we receive that love? Will we say yes to that love? And so today, I don't know where you are with God. I, I know a lot of you, a lot of you are, are, are trying to walk with Jesus and follow him. And you have received his gift of salvation through Jesus. And some of you, maybe you haven't. So you're going to have an opportunity today to, to say, I believe. I, I, enough is enough. I, I want to give my whole life to Jesus. It's a gift. And it means that you're accepting his forgiveness and starting a journey of a new and vibrant and intimate relationship with God. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But I want you to be thinking about that, praying about that, even now, wherever you're at. For others of us, maybe for you, you, you know Jesus, but you have been really, really struggling. And you are frustrated. And you are, you are needing to be reminded of God's intense, persistent love for you. That no matter where you're at, he wants to remind you that he's there. He's right there with you. And maybe it's to turn again to him and say, okay, God, I don't have it all figured out. I'm really frustrated, I'm really angry, but I need your help, would you help me? And God will say, I've been waiting for you to say that. For others of us, we know people in our life that are just chasing after what the world says is the best way to live life. They're, they're just chasing after stuff, and we get it, we've all been there. It's money, it's sex, it's power, whatever it is, we're trying to fill our souls with something else aside from God. And we know people that are in that journey and we're like, I'm done with that. I'm like, I'm done. And maybe God is stirring in you to say, to know that he's not done with that. And he actually wants you to be a part of his people to persistently remind them through love, through service. And maybe if it's too difficult, just maybe through prayer alone right now to start caring about those people that you have written off. And I get it. Some of us, we've been hurt by these people. I totally get it. Curry, you're asking me to care about them? God cares about them. But maybe the best thing you can do at this point is not to re-engage in relationship, but maybe the best thing you do is simply to start praying for them. Wherever that is for you, God is looking for people like you to care about those people that many have written off. 
but God has not given up on them. So let's respond and worship to God. And as we worship, I want some of you to strongly consider today's the day to receive and say, I believe. Maybe for the first time ever, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And so we're all going to stand and worship together. But then I'm going to come back up and I'm going to invite some of you to literally raise your hand and say, I believe. Which sounds really scary. But we're all in it with you. That's why we're all going to stand together. We're with you. We want to celebrate with you. All right? So let's respond back to God and worship. And I'll step back up here in a minute.